Hello and welcome to the Father's House Church. We're so glad that you're here. We hope that you're encouraged by today's message from our lead pastor, Greg Fraser. Well, we've been uh, in the Gospel of Luke and we're transitioned to the book of Acts over the last few weeks. Pastor Peter uh, gave us a mouthful. Uh, last week, I want to read you the quote. It kind of fills all the gaps in. Pentecost represents an event where the purity, passion, pleasure, permanence, power, and purposes were given to Christians through the presence of the Holy Spirit. He started running off on peas, and he just kept going and going and going. We said, that's enough. You can only have seven. And uh, so there you go. It's a powerful statement, though, of all the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, every scholar, most scholars, I would say almost everyone I've ever read, believe that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the birth of the church. This is really what they connect to as where the church started, and uh, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Pastor Peter started us in uh, chapter 2. I preached chapter 1 and laid the foundation of this new relationship with God being led by the Holy Spirit is really what you're going to see throughout the book of Acts and uh, all these different things. So chapter 2, last week, Pastor Peter read a good portion of it and just the supernatural, incredible things that happen. And you need to grasp this stuff because we're, as we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see more of it. They're in one place. They're together, 120 of them. They're praying. And suddenly the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happens. A wind, like a mighty wind, blows through the place. Like, can you imagine? Supernatural, okay? It start, if a wind starts blowing in here, like what is going on? Uh, and then tongues of fire, literally what looked like tongues of fire, come and separate and rest over the head of every single person, all 120 of them, representing the Holy Spirit, filling every single member. Now, why is that important? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only upon specific people, prophets, priests, and kings. And so the individual nature of all of a sudden now every member of the church is filled with the Spirit, has the Spirit of God uh, alive and present with them. And so this is an incredible symbolism. Imagine, now this gets even crazier because it's the Pentecost weekend and uh, in the Jewish religion all people come from all over the known world and they travel to Jerusalem for Pentecost and suddenly this blowing of this violent wind, they come and they hear these 120 Galilean Jews Okay, speaking in their languages, 15 known languages that are being spoken. And, and they're like, how do these guys know our languages? They're praising God. They're worshiping God in these unknown tongues. And they're spiritual. There's, there's, there's known tongues of man, but they didn't know them prior to this baptism. And, uh, you know, there's tongues of angels, and the people are coming and gathering, literally. Now, remember, there's a huge festival happening in Jerusalem at this time. So thousands of people are there, and they hear this strange occurrence. They start to gather to see what is happening, and they are like, oh, what's going on? Are these guys drunk? Like there's some kind of manifestation of the presence of the joy of the Lord, the power of God. And Peter gets up and says, oh, no, they're not drunk. 
And he ties it into the Word of God, and he says the prophet Joel talked about this day, that there would be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that your young men and your young women, your old men, your old, just they will prophesy, they will speak, they will perform signs and wonders. Great and awesome things are happening. And so he preaches this message. He calls them to repent of their sin, to turn to God in the hour, that in the last days this outpouring is coming. And 3,000 people are added to the church that day. Now, in the first service, there was about 120, maybe a few more. But can you imagine if 120 people, suddenly 3,000 people are coming next week to church? Where are you sitting? You better show up early. And by the way, if 3,000 people are added to the church, every one of you is now going to be called pastor because we need so much more help. Suddenly you gain an anointing. You're like, you're in charge of that group of 40. Like you get them and you better not mess it up. Okay, here we go. Okay, so in the midst of this, now guys, as we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see incredible things. Uh, You're going to see healings and signs and wonders. You're going to see angels showing up in prison and unlocking latches, prison doors swinging open, earthquakes causing prisoners to be able to be broken free. All of it is symbolic and all of it is true. It actually happened, amen? But it's also symbolic to you and I that God is breaking off the chains and setting us free. Hallelujah. And uh, you're going to see supernatural occurrences like people being translated from one point of the world to another point. Okay, this is the stuff that Hollywood should be picking up on. You know what I'm saying? This is a great movie. Like, incredible thing. Deliverances. Powerful, powerful, powerful occurrences. And in the midst of that, come to the end of chapter 2, God gives us an anchor point. He says, in the midst of this outpouring, in the midst of this presence of God, which is going to be very new upon the church of Jesus Christ, upon every person being gifted and anointed and blessed by God, God gave us the very tail end of chapter 2 to be the anchor to the reality of what's happening. Let's read that text together. It says, When those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And the fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among the men as they had need, and continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their meals with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Wow. This continual fellowship with the Word of God and then the fellowship with Jesus Christ Himself and then the fellowship of the church. These are the anchor points that stabilize the church in the midst of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at those today. Well, let's pray. 
and see what that means for you and I. Father God, we love you. We need you. God, awesome day today, Lord. Thank you for all these beautiful lives. Jesus, these beautiful babies, may they know you. May they serve you. May they love you. May they be amazing people, Lord Jesus. We thank you for everyone gathered here today. God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you, Lord. We need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better, to know the hope to which you've called us and the glorious inheritance that is already ours in Christ Jesus and the incomparably great power of the Holy Spirit for us who believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I said we're going to talk about three things, but I said the frame and the word fellowship is going to start with every one of those. The word fellowship in the Greek in the original language is the word koinonia. And it's a powerful word of our togetherness in the church. It means partnership, participation, partakers of, association with, sharer together, commonality, common unity, deep oneness, unity, and connection. Now, why am I telling you that? Um, (laughs) Because you're not only in fellowship with one another, you're in fellowship with every single Christian who calls upon the name of the Lord throughout the world. You are connected to them. And there's so many things that connect us together. There's so many things that connect us. You know, we have one Lord, the same Lord Jesus Christ. We have one guide for life, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We have one, uh, the same love for God, the same desire to worship Him, the same struggles and victories and the job of living for Him and the joy of communicating the gospel. It doesn't matter what church you go to. The churches of Jesus Christ have this commonality. Are you with me? So whether you're a Baptist, a Catholic, a Pentecostal, all of these churches, there's something that connects them. There's something that makes them unique, which we'll talk about in a second. But you need to get that you're part of something awesomely huge. Now let's look at the first part of this text. A continual fellowship with the essential teachings of the Word of God. The text put it this way, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now doctrine is teaching. Um, and yet the apostles' doctrine is talking about, it's not that the apostles taught it, so much as the apostle represented the foundational teachings of the church. There are foundational teachings that every church that you go to and connect to, you will see these foundational teachings within them. And you need those foundational teachings. They're very, very important. Amen? Why is this important? Why is it important to have good doctrine? Well, You know, God is teaching a whole new people. He's baptizing a whole new people. There's gifts and signs and wonders happening. And God is saying, I need to put rails around this so that nothing can go off track. Okay? And the the way that he puts those rails, number one is the Word of God. Church, listen. Christianity is not about a monorail. Now, you know what a monorail is? It's one rail. Mono one. Um... It's really a twin rail, okay? And there are lots of Christians who live on a monorail. Now, some have a monorail of everything is the Spirit. Mm, That's going to get you in trouble. You need a twin rail. 
the Spirit anchored to the Word. And other Christians just have, oh, I just, I'm just into the Word. Forget that Spirit stuff. I don't want the Holy Spirit. That's crazy. I don't want that. No, that's not good either. See, there's kind of a little, I love this little poem, little saying. I th- I'll just read it to you. Has the Spirit without the Word, you blow up. <laughs> like a balloon. You're like, <laughs> you're gone. You're gone, okay? The Word without the Spirit, you dry up. I've got the word. Well, you need both, right? The word with the spirit, you grow up. Amen? So there are essential doctrines, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Guys, these are creeds that have been in the church for generation upon generation, and it was the apostolic leaders who came together and said, what are the essential truths of the church? And they laid those things out because they knew that if they didn't have clear guidelines, that things could go off track. Make sense? And so this is the powerful part of what you are part of, the essential truths of the church, the Trinity, the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ, the divinity of the Holy Spirit, sin and salvation, the nature of man, resurrection and judgment, and eternal life with God and the church itself. All these things are the essential doctrines of the church of Jesus Christ. And when we have those rightly fitted in the right foundation, then we can build our life upon those things. You know, Augustine said this, if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like, it's not the Gospel that you're believing, but yourself. Yikes. And then he also said this, in essentials, unity in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, I told you earlier that, maybe I didn't, but um, we're, I'm a Pentecostal pastor. In other words, I believe in a distinct outpouring and presence of the Holy Spirit, a subsequent event that happens after salvation to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, and my Baptist brothers and sisters do not believe the same way. They believe that when you're born again, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's when you receive the infilling of the Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Though I am Pentecostal, that's not the essential doctrine that I hold to. In other words, I would say to my Baptist brother or sister, praise God because I know that both of us believe that we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Not how that event happened or when it occurred. That's not essential. What's essential is I need the Holy Spirit and they would agree with me a thousand percent. Are you with me? So I'm trying to give you a picture. Like this is where you see distinctions in the church. It's just on the non-essentials. And it's not that it's bad. People may fit better here and some might fit better here. Those aren't bad things. But there are essential things that we all agree to. And this is what God is anchoring us to as he's pouring out the Holy Spirit. He's saying, okay, guys, you need to know the doctrines of the apostles, the foundational things that are going to keep you from going astray. And church, this, right away this was tested, okay? And you're going to read about that as we go through the book of Acts. We're going to get to Acts 15 where they're having an argument with the Pharisaical Judaizers who were trying to keep uh, some Old Testament um, beliefs alive. And the Old Testament is accurate, but they were trying to keep some Old Testament practices in the New Testament church. And the big one that you're going to read about in Acts 15 
is circumcision. You cannot be saved unless you're circumcised, this group was saying. And the New Testament church, the apostles met and said, that is inaccurate. You can't add to what the gospel is, that you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Not through the acts of the flesh, not through what you do. It's through your belief in what Christ has done. And so they set that foundational teaching in order right away. Later on, the apostle John has to speak to another heresy that tries to come into the church. It's called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, there's lots of beliefs about Gnostics. I won't get into it. But one of the central ones was Jesus never really came in the flesh. He, had a, he was kind of a spirit man. He was totally different, and, and the flesh doesn't count for anything. And so they, they got into this asceticism and antinomianism, which is there is no law, so do whatever you want. Ooh, party, have fun. Or asceticism is like, oh, you're so terrible. Kill your flesh all the time. Both of those things destroyed the people. Are you following what I'm saying? Neither one of them are good. So the apostle John has to correct this attack of Gnosticism, which is the worship of knowledge. Gnosis is knowledge. And so he, he basically fights this attack in 1 John. And he says, he starts by, I'm just going to read a portion of it to you. He says, remember, they say Jesus didn't come in the flesh. So look how he starts 1 John. From the very first day, we were there, taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. And we verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen, and now I'm telling you in most sober prose that we witnessed was this. The infinite life of God took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we were telling you so that you can experience it along with us this experience of communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive in writing this simply is this. We want to en- this, you to enjoy this too, your joy will double our joy. So right away, he's combating Gnosticism, and he's saying, guys, you know what? No, 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 you're wrong. We touched him. We heard him. We were present. You're teaching a lie. And this is a foundational teaching. Are you following me? An essential. Jesus Christ came and became a man, lived a life empowered by the Spirit, the same way you can live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, and you can overcome your flesh, and you can overcome the things in your life because God is now empowering you the same way He empowered Jesus. Woo! Come on. Now, (laughs) so right away, the church has to bring correction. Correction. Why? Because people stray. And the problem with the Gnostics was they claimed to have a secret knowledge. Oh, we know something you don't know. The pastor doesn't know this. You need to come and hear what we have to say. Now, how many of you know in the advent of the internet, there's never been a greater attack of heresy and incorrect doctrine in the church? Never. (laughs) Why? Everybody's an expert. And so they will send you, oh, did you see this link, Pastor Greg, da 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 this, uh, you know, you got to change some preaching, you're, you're teaching wrong things. No, head back to the essentials, head back to the essentials, head back to the foundational doctrines. Okay, now I'm going to tell you a little story from my life. For those of you visiting me, visiting us today, just forgive me. Okay, okay. remember, I, I, I be, if you don't know this, I became a Christian when I was 20. 
21. And um, eight days before my 21st birthday, the whole church knows. They're quoting me, and they should. That means it's being drilled into their hearts. It's all good. Now, when I first became a Christian, I came out of a lifestyle of not being a Christian. That's all we're going to say there. We're going to leave that behind. Amen? But there was still stuff God was working on. Anybody get that? And, uh, but I also gathered with this group of new believers, and we were so excited. We thought we knew more than the pastor sometimes, and we were learning new doctrines. And, and we had somebody in our group who was really into demons. And so they were teaching us. Oh, you need to know this, and this is how this works. And so we were thinking, oh, we're getting all this incredible, important knowledge. Now, now there's two churches that, two, two mistakes churches make on the enemy. One is they spend way too much time talking about them. And the second is they don't spend any time talking about them. Okay? You have an enemy, but you, what is greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. Okay, so we have, I, I was, what I'm trying to tell you is, I wasn't balanced when I was first a new Christian. I was getting these teachings. And we were casting demons out of doorknobs. And we were like, we were, are you following me? Okay, this, was, this is what you did. And okay, I'm not kidding you. This is no word of a lie. We found a satanic altar in an abandoned building. And we went in there and we painted the whole thing white and then wrote scriptures all over where this altar was. And then I twisted my ankle and I thought for sure the devil had done it. Like, I mean, you're following me. It's like, guys, okay, I'm, we were a little unbalanced. That's all I'm trying to tell you. So then we, this other guy comes to our little group of new believers, unbeknownst to the pastor, and says, oh, I have a teaching you all need to hear. So he teaches us on this tape. Now, I, this is in my house. I'm a young adult. I have, a, I have a, a nice basement suite. And so they're all coming, hanging out, all these new believers. This guy teaches us a teaching and it was called bear fruit or burn. This was not on the new Christian curriculum. Are you following what I'm saying? So I'm listening to this teaching, and I'm thinking, now remember, now combine the things that are happening. I'm getting non-essential teachings about demonology, and then all of a sudden I'm getting this extreme teaching on repentance, and at the end of it, I'm like, I'm not even saved. I think I still smoked at that point. Like, I mean, for sure I'm going to hell. I smell like it already. Like, I'm going there, right? So, <laughs> they all leave my house, and I'm alone there now. And guess what I'm doing? I'm thinking about the fact that I'm going to burn. Because I have no foundational understanding, guys. I'm young in the Lord. And so, I stare at the wall in my bedroom for like three hours. Like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And then I wake up and I'm totally oppressed by the enemy. And it's just like this condemning, you are going to hell. You are nothing. You are. And guess what I thought I had done? I had opened my life up and a demon came in. So then I, okay, sorry, for those of you visiting, we're not that weird of a church. I'm just telling you a story, okay? So now I'm spending the next few nights casting the demon out of myself. I can't sleep. I'm not eating. I'm freaking out. I'm still going to work. Everyone's like, you okay, Greg? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, everything's good. <laughs> no, I'm not. It's not good. No. Anyway, so I do the next thing. I call my older brother who had been saved like a week after me, but he's my older brother, so surely he knows what to do because we've all been studying this stuff. He shows up and says, 
oh, I knew, some, I knew this was going to happen. I knew somebody's going to get a demon out of this. Like, we're experts. Remember now we've been saved for a month. And uh, <laughs> so he tries to cast the demon out of me. It doesn't go well. It's just not good. And uh, there was no demon, by the way. Just in case you were wondering. So then I go to my pastor. He's like, my brother's like, I don't know what to do, man. You got to go to the pastor. So I go to the pastor and I say, I think I got a demon. And you know what? He just looks at me and he's listening. He's listening. He's like, and he says these incredible words. Who taught you this stuff? (laughs) I said, buddy from the church came and did a tape. And we, buddy from the church got called into the office. You know what I'm saying? And then he had to teach us who we were in Christ and the authority that we had. And the enemy is real, but you have authority over him. And he began to lay a foundation that brought freedom to our souls. Amen? What I'm trying to tell you guys is this is what this text is warning of. We're living in a day and age when people will come with a special knowledge and they'll say, oh, you need to hear what I have to say. But, you know, John went on to tell his people that you don't have any need of anybody teaching you something special. Why? You have the Holy Spirit within you who is a witness to these things, and you know when something's off. Have you ever been in a meeting, and you're listening to the guy speak, and you're like, man, he's talking about Jesus, but something's off. That's the Holy Spirit witnessing to you, saying, no, go back to the Word, go back to the Word. The guardrail of the Word of God, you guys, is so... It's impenetrable. (laughs) Isn't that good news? That as you continue on the journey toward greater experience of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the desire of God to fill you with His passion, His presence, He puts the guardrail of the Word. And I would say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, let me just read a scripture to you. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Now, the interesting thing in that text is that word turn is a medical term. It literally means to pull so hard against something that you literally disjoint yourself from the rest of the body. You know, as a pastor, my wife and I will tell you story after story of people who get caught in these little extremes and they start going off on a tangent and suddenly they're meeting and gathering and doing things and I'll go and I'll say, what are you doing? What's going on here? Like, whoa, 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 you need to come back in line. You need to stay here. For every mile of road, church, there are two miles of ditch, okay? I'm telling you, anything extreme, you have to be cautious of. Does that make sense? Okay? Because we're living in a day and age when the enemy is working full-time to derail people's faith. So we have this continual fellowship with the Word of God. Here's the second thought, continual fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And the fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles.
Three things that keep us in fellowship with Jesus. Communion, prayers, and the fear of the Lord. So one of the practices of the church is communion. Communion is when we have that little piece of biscuit and a little bit of wine. It's usually just grape juice. And uh, grape juice and biscuit representing the body of Christ, the broken body, and the, the, the wine representing the blood of Christ. But communion is not just this moment of introspection, like where have I sinned, where have I failed? That may be part of it in coming back in line with who you are in Christ. That's a good thing. But communion is meant to remind you of the story that you are now part of that you've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son who loves God. It's to remind you that you've been adopted by God and brought into His family. It's to remind you that you're in common union with God and with every other person in the body of Christ. And this story that now you're living out of, guys, you're not living out of your old story. You're not living out of your old identity. Communion brings us back to focus on that which brings us freedom. Amen? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not allow yourself to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery, the yoke of the law, the yoke of these extreme teachings and thoughts. There's some truth in them, but just pull the truth and leave the rest there. Amen? So you have communion, guys. You've been adopted, brought into the family of God. I love it. And even if you have sinned, there's a solution there. Come to Jesus. Lord, forgive me for this. How many of you got to come every day usually? Every day, Greg Fraser has to bring his wife before the Lord. No. <laughs> It's me. It's always me. Have you learned that, guys? Let me give you a little, let's do a little marriage teaching right now. Guys, it's always you, just so you know. <laughs> okay, just, just saying. <laughs> okay, prayer. Prayer. They continually gather together for prayer. Prayer is beautiful. It connects us to the Father, reminds us of our daily dependence upon Him. Hallelujah. It reorients us from the old story and back into the new story. You ever, you ever think about the Lord's Prayer? It's such a great prayer. You know the amazing thing about the Lord's Prayer? It doesn't talk about you until the fourth petition. Why is that important? Because I'm so selfish and so self-centered, I always want to make it about me. But it starts, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Then it's all of a sudden me. I'm, oh, give me this day my daily bread. You're my provider. Deliver me. Forgive me. Amen? Yours is the kingdom, the power, the glory. Prayer reorients this church. I'm telling you, prayer is so powerful. I took my wife on a Valentine's date. Guys, did you take your wife on a Valentine's date? And there was silence in heaven for half an hour. <laughs> no. No, this was my, my wife mocked me to no end. Um, she had to drive me to this date. We went to um, the Misericordia Hospital on Valentine's Day because I had to go for an MRI. And the only opening they had, apparently no guy wanted to take it, was at 9.30 at night at the Misericordia Hospital. And Betty had to take me there. So I'm going into the <laughs> Misericordia for my MRI. It's a brain scan because of the MS that I'm battling. 
And so they have to do this. They do a halo on your head. Okay, you're totally enclosed in this white halo. And then they put you in a machine and you can't move. And I'm telling you're like this. If you never had an MRI, you are like this. You can't move. You can't tickle your nose. You can't, you just got to lay there for 45 minutes to an hour. Now, I'm a little claustrophobic because I'm getting over it. I'm, over, I'm okay. Thank you for praying. Uh, I had an older brother who thought it was funny to do things that would like smother me. And, and one time he folded me in half and put me in a laundry basket and uh, then closed the lid. How many of you know that was terrifying? Okay, I'm just letting you know. My sister Teresa's here and she's thinking it's her that was, no, it was never you. It was always me that it was done to. Okay, it's okay. Get over it. The Lord's with you. You're a psychologist. You can, you can deal with the trauma now. You've got psychological training. Amen? <laughs> I lost my point. No. I'm in this chamber and I'm, I'm starting to feel anxiety. Are you following what I'm saying? So what can I do? I pray. I just invite God into that moment. God, you're with me. Father, you're here. I quoted the Lord's Prayer. Just read it through in my spirit. Psalm, Psalm 23. Just began quoting that, reading that through as I'm there. And then they come on the little microphone and they say, only 18 minutes left. I'm like, oh my Lord, I got to say the Lord's Prayer again. <laughs> 18 more minutes. <laughs> You know, that's the beautiful thing about prayer, guys. You bring God right into the moment you're in. Isn't that awesome? What a gift prayer is to the body of Christ. <laughs> Lastly, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. The reverence for God. Awe and respect. You know, it's my premise that the church, this generation, has lost a lot of the fear of the Lord. One of the names of the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. And I will pray that often for our church family. God, give us the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Amen? We need to, we need to have an awe and a respect for God. You know, there are things in my life I do not do, not because you'll see me, but because I know God sees me. And I know I'm going to stand before him and give an account one day. And so it's like, nope, not going there. Not doing that. Not watching that. Not going to do that. That's the fear of the Lord. Amen? There's an incredible scripture, and I want to read it to you and give you just a couple quick thoughts on this. One thing God has spoken, Psalm 62, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O God, are loving. One thing God speaks, but you're to hear too. In the Old Testament, I'm going to tell you, the first coming of Jesus Christ, they didn't hear the love of God. They lived in the fear of God, and they taught that way, and they put people under extreme bondage because of it. I think they rewrote that psalm, one thing God has spoken and one thing have I heard, that you, O God, are strong. And we know this because Jesus combated the Pharisees and their teaching. And he says, you guys think you're altogether like me, but you're nothing like me. I'm going to rebuke you to your faces. They didn't understand God's love for sinners. He, they didn't understand God's love and mercy toward you and me. They didn't get it. And so they missed that. In the first coming of Jesus, they missed the love of God. 
Now, we've been trained and taught for 2,000 years, and guess what? The church knows the love of God. The Father loves us. The Father is awesome. The Father is, my, oh, it's so good. We know the love of God, the generosity of God. We teach it. We preach it. We share it. But I'm going to tell you, my fear is the church is in danger of not representing God well on having the fear of the Lord. I think we rewrite that text and say, one thing God has spoken, one thing have I heard, that you, O God, are loving. But we need to remember who we are serving. Amen? That one day He's coming back and He will judge the living and the dead. And I want to be a church that has the fear of the Lord and the love of God rightly placed so that we can have that proper representation of who God is to this world. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Here's the last thought, continual fellowship within the church. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all who had need. Continued daily in one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their meat with glad and singleness, sincere and single hearts. Now remember what's happened here. Okay, because you're saying, Pastor, are you telling us to sell everything and we're going to share it amongst everybody? And some people would say, hey, man, that's a good plan. I like that plan. Uh, that's not really what's going on here. They were so, the band's going to come back now, by the way. They were so taken with the thought that Jesus was about to return that, remember, three th- all these people had gathered for this to, in Jerusalem. Now they were like, okay, well, the Lord's about to return. We're going to stay here and wait for His return. So they left their jobs, they left their houses, wherever they lived, and they were hanging out waiting for the return of the Lord. Well, they waited a while, and so people had to start selling stuff and, and getting re- helping people, and the church was incredible. It was awesome. But they, you know, finally, we know the balance to that teaching because the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.10, if a man shall not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some of you are, are being idle. You're not being busy. You're being busy bodies. Such people we commend and urge in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that you eat. Okay? He was basically bringing balance back to this teaching. Guys, you guys, great, be generous. But what you can't miss in this text is how much the people of God cared for one another. You can't miss the love that was in this group. You can't miss the sharing and the caring and the praying and the serving and the forgiving and the loving. These are the incredible guardrails. Guys, why do you need to come to church? Because you're part of the family of God. This guards you. This keeps you from getting astray. This keeps you from being hurt. And when you go through struggles, you got people that are with you and for you. Amen? Hallelujah. So in the middle of Pentecost, which represents the event where God's purity, passion, pleasure, permanence, power, and purpose were given, Christ anchors us to His Word, to Himself, and to the body of Christ. These are the things that God does in the church in this hour. Amen? Thanks for joining us. For more of our messages and information on our ministries, you can visit tfhchurch.ca. Have a great week.